0: In today's episode, I'm going to tell you about how I got a $2.2 million investment from Kevin Hart and how it fell apart right in my hands. Now, this episode is another storytelling episode that is hopefully going to connect with you in a way that you can relate and maybe feel a little bit of reassurance knowing that you are probably not the only one struggling and that a lot of us other people have... So I'm gonna walk you through the whole process of getting into a room with Kevin Hart, getting him to agree to invest in my company and all the steps to get there and then of course how it all fell apart. So back in 2016 when I was working for Comcast, I was uh, working nights on my company called Via Fitness. This is the startup that gives you rewards for working out. If you listen to my other episode about the company that I launched my first company, this is the same company, So I was living in Philly with my buddies and I was uh, hitting a stride with my app and I eventually quit my corporate job. I went up on the roof of my apartment building. I recorded a video, said I'm quitting corporate right now. And then I posted that video and that was really the landmark moment that started my entrepreneurial journey. And at the time there was this big penthouse. It was the largest penthouse in Philly, 4,500 square foot, two floors, the top floor of this building called the Drake. And it's beautiful, gothic, old school building, but it was just nicely remodeled. And it was like our dream apartment for me and my buddies. We were all entrepreneurs. We were all working on stuff, wanted to go big. And so we went and toured this apartment. Now the apartment at the time was 7,500 bucks a month, I think, 7,500, 7,900, something like that. And at the time, my rent was like $1,100 and I did not have money to be renting an ap- apartment like that. But we were really determined about it, we were really focused and we manifested it. We put all of our heads together and we came up with you know a way to pay for it, a way to show income proof verification, a way to get approved on the credit application and all of that stuff. And me and four of my buddies moved into this monster penthouse, the biggest penthouse in Philly. and we got the whole top two floors of this building. It had like 20 by 20 sun decks on both sides. And then in the middle, it had the whole first floor. So that was like a, a huge living room, a big open kitchen all along the house. Ha- so the whole house or the whole apartment was like long wise. So it had floor to ceiling windows all along the sides. It had the kitchen here on the left side and then the living room and the entry. It had a private elevator that went up to the unit and then it had like an office and then of course the two patios that I told you about and when you walk out on the patio crazy spanning views of Philly it was it was really a dream place and so we we turned it into what we called the hustle house all of us were starting companies in there four different four different companies being founded in there and then on the second floor it was almost like a spire it looked kind of like the the nation's capital where it had like a, a you know like a round dome on the top and then like a spire which we of course climbed out on the side of the building and climbed up to the top and <laughs> broke the rules and did a few risky things. But anyway, like filming a music video up there. But anyway, so on the second floor, I had all the bedrooms, had a huge master bedroom with like a Scarface style bathroom. It was all marble, two huge walk-in closets in the bathroom. And this big marble tub, we, we eventually kind of turned it into like a nightclub. We had like these, the different layers of the tub. It was like these stages and we put like, you know, concert speakers in there and my buddy was a dj with blast music and stuff anyway so that was like the master and the master's this big open area that also had a private patio like a second level patio so the first level was like a big open sun deck and then the next level had a patio on the other side was my room which i had i guess you'd say like the second biggest room ceilings were like 20 feet high and uh, if i looked out my window i could see all of philly it was like the highest place in the highest building in philly So we're obviously super stoked about this. And yeah, we set up a couple hot desks. We set up like a workstation. We have whiteboards all over the house, set up a projector set up. So we had like a huge big screen in the living room. It was really an awesome setup. I was, I don't know, 27 years old when we did this. And so all of me and my buddies moved into the Hustle House. And it was an incredible tool. I I would say that was one of the best investments I ever made. Um, So what we did was, Uh, on one side, we had a, a hot tub. We put a hot tub up on the roof. We put tiki torches all around it, put some sun beds. And then on the other side, we put like a gym set up. We had like a big Halloween party there, turned the whole patio into like a dance floor. It was was a really cool space. So we were, you know, all of us were starting companies. So we kind of like came on to the idea of like waking up at like 5 a.m., you know, doing morning push ups, meditating, getting to work by 7 a.m. So we're all really hustling and crushing it. And this is when I was kind of in the height of running um, my Via Fitness app, which I was telling you about in the last episode. Um, so, one of the things about owning this house is first of all, you have a reason to invite people over all the time. So, it's a crazy networking tool. Everybody knows that building. It has, it's, it's got like a, a light at the top of it. So, if you're down in the city, you could be like, yeah, you see that apartment up there? That one's mine. And so people would be like, oh my God. And then we'd be like, hey, do you want to come up and see, you know, the best view in Philly? So we would bring people up and it was just, it had a lot of wow factor, uh, especially, you know, taking the private elevator and all that. So it was, it was, it was just a great uh, networking tool. And so, you know, whenever I want to, you know, conduct an interview, like we had Inc. Magazine come out and interview me for the, for this feature on Via Fitness. And they brought their whole film crew up to the penthouse and, you know, filmed the the interview with the whole city as the backdrop so it just worked really well for that kind of stuff so we hosted events there we did big new year's parties we did like these a uh, launch party for via fitness had like a red carpet uh, we did a lot of formal events there it was you know we packed 200 people into that place it was, it was a really perfect space for that so i always have bargaining chips any conversation i was in anybody that i was meeting in the startup world i would always have a reason to be like you know if it's like a boss i'm like yo come through and check out the penthouse you know so it would bring bring people up, and uh, word started getting around. One that we were throwing the best parties in town, but two that you know there were some legit companies being built out of this out of this penthouse. Uh, we even nicknamed it like the PHB, like the Penthouse Boys. <laughs> and um, one of the people who came through was a, a music production company. You guys may have heard of them. They're called Rec Philly, and they raised something like two million dollars from Sequoia. So they they are really thriving. But anyway, these guys um, came on to us and, and heard about our story. I invited them up to the penthouse and uh, you know, through a different series of connections, uh, they wanted to do their New Year's Eve party with us. Um, but what I didn't know is that this production crew uh, was, they were Kanye West beat makers, right? So they were working with the, the whole production crew and the film crew and all of the, the beat makers for Kanye. And so they told me, they're like, hey, look, I got, I've got connections to Kanye West, Ashton Kutcher, um, Charlie Heat. There was like a few others that I met as well through them. Anyway, they were connected to some huge names. And, you know, I thought they were just kind of BSing me or whatever. Um, and then one day they hit me up and they're like, hey, uh, Kanye's team wants to come and film a music video up there. They're in town here in Philly and uh, they want to shoot a set up in the penthouse. And so, of course, I agreed because it's obviously a great opportunity to meet them and to uh, to be a part of something really cool. And so I said yes to this, and uh, they're like, I think that when, that when the crew meets you, they're going to want to learn more about the app that you're working on via fitness. So I was like, okay, sure. I mean, I don't know what will come with this. This is all music and actors, but if they're interested in the app, sure, why not? So I say yes to this, and – I remember the day that they showed up to, you know, come film this music video set. I I welcomed them into the lobby and we got this, you know, old kind of bookish lady working at the front desk. And she's just like in shock. This big mob of like gangster looking people, like with speakers and DJ tables and like camera setups, like all this production equipment like 30 people in my lobby i'm like oh my god what did i just sign up for dude and she's like can you guys please sign the guest list and so these people like one by one go through and sign this guest list and the lady is just petrified she has no idea what's going on she probably thinks there's gonna be like a crazy party up there and i told her like look it's not we're not going to be loud don't worry about it blah blah blah. thankfully it was in the middle of the day but we had already had so many run-ins with the building management and the 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 security and the police from you know making too much noise up there one time the barbecue caught on fire and the whole fire trucks came the building got evacuated so we were not in their good graces when this happened but this production crew of 30 people comes in and then kanye's producer his name is charlie he he walks in and i'm just like oh man dude charlie makes beats for push a t for kanye for all of these big rappers if, if anybody remembers the album um Cruel Summer, I think it was, by Kanye. It was like 2012. Charlie, Heat did the beats for all of that. That song, Click. Charlie, Heat did that that beat for that song. So Charlie walks in, all of his crew, and then X, which is Charlie's manager, but he's also Kevin Hart's friend as well as the manager for a bunch of other big artists. So this crew walks in. I had to take him up the elevators in like three groups because there's so many people. And we all get up to the top of the building, and they set up this whole DJ booth setup, and they've got you know cameras all around, like you know, out the windows and in the living room and all that. Just a really cool setup, and uh, so they start filming the music video up there. And um, you know, while all the production set is happening, I'm talking to X. That's the guy that they wanted to introduce me to, and X is the one who's like, "Yo, I've got plugs to Kevin Hart." I think he'd really be interested in your VIA app. Like, I can make an intro. And I was like, all right, dude, I'll believe it when I see it, you know. Um, but he tells me, he's like, yo, you know, I live in L.A. My office, um, I think the record company he worked for is called Maverick. It's next door. His office was next door to Ashton Kutcher's. So he's like, look, I can walk across the office and go show this to Ashton and see what he thinks he's investing in a lot of tech startups right now. And I'm like, all right, bro, I believe it when I see it. And anyway, that that all happens. You know, the the, the music video gets put out uh, on Mass Appeal. I don't know if you guys know what Mass Appeal is. It's like a a, a rap uh, music video outlet um, gets tons and tons of views. But anyway, so this whole crew comes to my house, and I'm just like kind of awestruck. But whatever. So this this penthouse is just working to be this huge tool for networking and credibility and all this stuff. And and then uh, a couple weeks later, I get a text at 11 p.m. on a Tuesday night, and X is like, Yo, Kev's in town. And remember, Kev is from Philly, he's from North Philly. So I was living in Philly, and so his team hit me up like middle of the night on a Tuesday, and I'm like, Okay, uh, yeah, I'm there. So I like threw on a suit, I got all cleaned up, and they're like, Meet me at Milkboy Studios. Milkboy is like in Kensington, it's in kind of like a, a ghetto area. Um, But I'm like, all right, whatever. I I hop in an Uber and I call my friend and he's like asking what's up. I'm like, oh, I'm actually on my way to go meet up with Kevin Hart right now. I don't know what I'm doing. But anyway, I had like prepared my presentation. I I didn't have like a computer, but I had like memorized my pitch and stuff. So I'm going to go pitch this idea to him because Kevin at the time was getting really into fitness and he really wanted to, uh, you know, he had just been signed by Nike. He was the only only, uh, signed, sponsored artist who was not an athlete. So Kev's the only Nike artist who ever got a shoe who was not an athlete. So he was really ascending in his fitness career. And that's why he was so attracted to Via Fitness because he wanted to have a company of his own so he he wouldn't be so dependent on Nike. So I head over to the studio. It's like pitch black outside in this sketchy area. And it's it's all just like a black building. There's no lights coming out of it or anything. I'm like ringing the doorbell. Nothing's happening. And I'm like, oh, my God, dude, what did I just get myself into? And finally, the doorbell buzzes, opens up, X come down and get me. And then as soon as I get inside this building, it's like pristine, brand new, super luxurious. And I'm like, whoa, this place is not what I thought it was. And so I walk up and um, and then there's three layers of steel doors I have to go through. And I'm like, all right, well, am I even allowed to be here? So anyway, I go inside and I finally open the door and there are platinum records all along the wall. And, I, and I'm like, oh, my God. So I, I cruise in and everybody, the, the studio is completely empty, um, except, of course, well, the recording studio itself has like 20 people in it, but all of the offices and stuff are empty. And I walk over there and I, I walk into the studio and everyone's like, Drinking Cognac and Cavassier and smoking weed and they're all making beats on the spot and so all of these big rappers and artists are in that in the recording studio and I walk in and I'm like this skinny white guy like looking around like oh my god (laughs) and they're all like what's up and they like throw me daps and bring me in and they're all super super cool super nice really respectful guys and um, so I'm sitting in the recording studio with them they're like yo you want a drink and so we all start getting fucked up together And they're like passing me their super strong weed. And I'm like, oh, my God, dude, I got a pitch in like five minutes. My eyes are all red and stuff because we're waiting for Kev. So Kev was at a stand-up show like 20 minutes away. He had been – this is what they told me. They said, Kevin woke up at 4.30 this morning. He went to work out, and then he went and filmed on set for four hours. And then he went and signed autographs for the next two hours. And then he went and did a stand-up show from 5 until 10 p.m. that night. So Kev had like got up at like four a.m. and his day was ending at like midnight. And I was like, "Wow, dude, I got a lot of respect for this guy." People think like success just happens. That is like whole hard hustle that made that happen. So uh, Kevin is still at this stand-up comedian show. You know, he put on a show and he had like you know a bunch of people you know filling up a stadium. So he was over there. So we we're waiting for him to show up. So I was hanging out in the studio with X and Charlie Heat and all these guys. And they're making beats, dude. It, it was just like a movie, you know. They're like mixing up tracks and like rapping on the tracks. And it was—I mean, it was, honestly, it was a very casual environment. But I was like, "Wow, dude, I am so out of my league here." But they're all super welcoming and cool, like I said. And then finally, I got word uh, that Kev was on his way. Um, so he pulls up in his Sprinter van. He's got the whole uh, the whole crew with him. They come in through the back door. You know have security escorting him bear in mind it's like middle of the night black blackout dark like nobody knows what's going on in this you know this little studio that we're in we're actually big but it's just kind of out in the middle of you know the city like in a dark area so they like quietly make their way in there and then uh his trainer boss comes in his manager wayne X. kev actually stays in the car um because i don't know he had to like take a call or something But the whole crew comes in his whole management and production crew comes in and uh and then they sit me down just like this they're like all right what's up so tell us what you got and i'm like uh all right well i guess this is my moment and so i pitched them i I told them you know this is how many users we have this is what the app does and you know this is where we're trying to go with it Uh, these are the investors that have said they want to invest and all that at this point i was like in the third year of running the company so just to take a step back for a second the whole reason i'm at kevin hart is because we rented this penthouse and then the penthouse got me the music video shoot music video shoot introduced me to x the manager and then x introduced me to kev and kev introduced me to like uh charlie heat and the production crew and all that stuff and these guys were all super cool you know they were they were trying to help me out as much as i was trying to help them out you know what i'm saying so here I am sitting in the studio, middle of the night. I'm in a suit. These guys are all in like sweatpants and jays and like smoking weed. And I'm just like totally out of place like a freaking businessman with all of these like artists and creators and rappers and stuff. But uh, I was like, whatever, just going to play my part, you know. So I pitched them. I pitched to Wayne and I pitched the boss and they were super into the idea. They're like, wow, this is I mean, at first they played a lot of hardball with me. They act like they weren't interested. And I was like, you know. I, I didn't get my hopes up at all because i'm like who knows they you know they could be bluffing with me or they could be serious but uh i pitched them and then they're like all right we'll let you know and then that's pretty much it and i'm like hang out in the studio for a little bit longer these guys leave <coughs> so after that um it was like a month i didn't hear anything back i was hitting up X and like you know he's traveling back and forth from la he's got all these things going on he's charlie's manager and stuff so you know, I didn't I wasn't really like expecting to hear much from him. Um, but then one day he hits me up and he's like, "Yo, I talked to Kev. He's one thousand percent interested. Those were his exact words. And I was like, oh, OK. And he's like, we're going to be back in Philly and we want to meet up with you. We want to start like making this thing happen. And so that's how I got connected with them. Um, so as it unfolds. They ask me how much I'm raising what I wanna do with the app, where I wanna go with it. Am I cool with Kevin Hart putting his name and face on it? He basically wanted to take over all the branding. And that of course is a big question because one, if you attach your, your company to a person like Tiger Woods or something, and they do something that damages their own image, it, it harms your company. So I had to really think through that with my co-founder and stuff, but obviously it was a really exciting time. And so they end up inviting me out to California um, to come see them in person for our second like official meeting. Um, so I, you know, got to keep in mind I was like broke at the time I was running the company with, I was spending all the money that I had investing in this company. And of course, you know, there's big opportunities on my plate. So I wanted to follow them through. So I fly out to LA and then I go up to San Francisco. I pitch, uh, Excel ventures. The one I talked about before I pitch, uh, two other angel investors in the area, two other VCs. So I did like a whole road show, drove down the California coast, um, Met with investors in San Diego, met with advisors in San Diego, and I I met with a total of like 10 VCs and investors during that trip. And then I ended my trip in L.A. It was Coachella weekend, so I went and hit Coachella, which they were supposed to meet me on that Friday. They missed the meeting. And so then I went to Coachella. And so the whole time I was at Coachella, I was I was dreading it because I'm like, are they going to miss their meeting? And I'm going to fly back to Philly without having met with them. And so I I canceled my return ticket. I got back from Coachella on like a Monday or a Tuesday. And I'm just waiting around for that word. And then finally they hit me back and they're like, All right, meet us up at the uh, the Daily Grinds. It's a it's a coffee shop in, in Hollywood. And so we pulled through, I had my co founder, we were in suits, we were all you know, locked and loaded and ready to go. And we gave them the pitch and and they were there was a bunch more people this time. It was like six of them instead of like three. And they were drilling me. They were poking holes in everything, you know, questioning the valuation and all this different stuff. And uh, you know, that was kind of the the time where I, I lost a little bit of grip on the negotiation because, you know, I felt like I was I was very very much outnumbered. Um, and so this is where I want to kind of talk about what happened because after that, the deal went to legal. And Kevin Hart's legal team and Nike's legal team were like, there's no way we can put Kevin's name on this because he's already signed to Nike. So I was like, all right, well, can we have him as a silent investor? And they said, yes, we can do that. Um, but what we want to do is we want to put Boss, his trainer, as the name and face of the app. And you know, Boss had 300,000 followers. It seemed like a good idea. Um, but then Boss wanted a, a monthly salary of 60,000. And first of all, I'm like, you don't take money out of the startup. You put money into it if you want it to grow. Second, we don't have 60 grand a month to pay you, nor will we pay 60 grand a month. If you guys invest, then we'll pay you 60K a month out of the investment, maybe. But that started putting a bad taste in my mouth. And so I, I started backing off the deal a little bit because I'm like, I don't know if I want to really uh, put put us so at risk here, um, You know, having somebody who doesn't have as much notoriety with their name. I mean, honestly, Boss is a solid character. You could have very well done the job but we just couldn't have made it happen given the terms of the deal and stuff and so at that time this is where uh, I started making some mistakes because all the investors I had I had Mark Cuban uh, he had given me a a verbal that he was going to invest once Kevin invested so I was like okay well I got this on lock you know Um, so I went back to Philly and I met with Mark Mark's uh, I met with two of Mark's team members there and They were each running different investment funds so they were going to invest from two ways from from his one fund or from his you know uh, i guess one company so i thought i was set i thought i had you know stacked up a few chips in my favor Um, but now i want to walk you through like where i went wrong so here's where i went wrong first of all i wasn't in the power position at the negotiation table I didn't know exactly what my number was. I didn't have a really solid, confident valuation in the company. They were really drilling me about valuation. And you know they didn't understand what a convertible note was. They didn't understand what a valuation cap was. So explaining that to them was really hard. It probably would have been better if I had like an investment banker or a broker doing it because trying to explain even the how made it hard to get to the actual why, right? So then I couldn't get to that part. But second, I was outnumbered. I didn't have legal representation with me. I didn't have an advisor or a broker or anybody who kind of could shield those harder questions. Cause remember, I'm the creative, the founder who came up with this. I'm not the 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 lawyer, the negotiator, the businessman. I'm the creator, right? So they, they really ganged up on me and I, I you know, I couldn't they were trying to negotiate terms and I wasn't comfortable with the terms. So I, I there wasn't a lot I could do other than walk away, but I wasn't ready to walk away from a two million dollar investment like that. Even though I had Mark Cuban in the pocket, that's my mistake. It was contingent on Kevin investing. What I should have done was gotten a, a written letter of intent from Mark, and proven that he was interested, and actually got him to either write an initial check or be committed to writing a check before I went to negotiating. So that's why I wasn't in the power position as much as I wanted to be. So. That was definitely my first mistake was i i didn't have a solid footing i also didn't know what i was doing so i didn't know how to get a solid footing so hopefully if you're going into a negotiation of this caliber this knowledge can equip you with some of that you know that presence of power um, second i didn't have multiple investments to bid against each other like i said i had a verbal from two different investment funds under mark cuban's purview i had excel ventures who was interested in it and then i had latham watkins which is like a really high-end law firm they took uh, snapchat public at the time and i got them to opt in and, and work on contingency because kevin was going to invest so all of these different deals were contingent on kevin investing because i got him excited and i had told him about that you know being naive I, I thought it would help close the deal but what it did was they just made contingencies so what i should have done was been like okay before we walk out of this meeting i want your word you're either in or out on this because I need a written inked agreement from you before I go back to Kev. And that's what I didn't do. So when Kev pushed on me, I didn't really have much recourse. I, I couldn't really push back because I didn't have tangible proof that these guys were gonna invest. So if the Kev investment fall apart, then all these other five investors that I was working with would of course fall out because they were all contingent. And so that was another huge mistake. So now looking back on it, if I would have done this all again, I would have had written investment statements from all of them, MOUs or LOIs, Memorandum of Understanding or Letter of Intent, written non-binding but written legal signed agreements that they had intended to invest. And then I could have gone to Kevin and be like, look, Mark Cuban, who obviously knows about tech startups, he has given us this valuation. So if he's given us this valuation, he obviously believes in the model and believes in the business agrees the valuation at the time our valuation was only four and a half million which is very low for a tech startup Um, but even that they were like oh well how do we know it's worth that and it was just a completely subjective conversation it was totally open to perspectives because they didn't really know much about how valuations work so that was my number two mistake number three mistake uh, the product wasn't really that show ready so the app worked well but This was before the age of a lot of uh, design and development templates. So the iOS native framework wasn't as advanced as it is today. So the app just didn't work as smooth. It had small bugs in it and stuff, all because I designed it from the ground up instead of using templates. So all the custom software development work was actually kind of biting me in the ass because the app was more buggy because it was all built from scratch rather than built from proven templates. So when I showed it to Kev and when I showed it to Wayne and I showed it to X, They're like, how come the app crashes when I do this? Or how come the GPS tracking isn't perfect? Even though the user experience was fine, those things made the app not show well. So now going back, I probably would have had a much more refined app. I think if I just had the confidence and conviction that I was talking about earlier in the episode, it wouldn't have really mattered. But it definitely would have made my confidence higher if the app was at a place where it was like bulletproof and they couldn't say shit about it but them being able to like nitpick and poke holes in it just gives them more negotiating chips. And that's ultimately how I lost that negotiation. Okay. So that's where I went wrong. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a pessimist. I don't, you know, I don't get down on myself about this anymore. At least I definitely did for a while, but uh, I'm actually really proud of what I did. It's a, it's a really cool experience and I don't want to focus on the negatives uh, because all those negatives led to positives, which leads me to the next section, which is where I went right. So, the first place where I went right was I, net, I was networking like a king. Think about the, the, the ascent. So I left my corporate job, went from being an important somebody who was presenting to board of directors with 50 people on the 60th floor of the Comcast Tower in a suit to being a nobody on the ground level you know, of Philadelphia. And then I worked my way back up to having Kevin Hart and his team come and meet with me in Philly so I, I went from the top down to the bottom all the way back up to the top in terms of networking so that was something like it was it was purely social navigation right i was just good at talking to people good at making them like me good at persuasion good at pitching and i worked my way back up the uh, up the social rungs and i got you know in contact with you know, all of these heavy hitters. So that was definitely something that I did right. And anybody can learn from that. And it, it, it goes to show that you don't have to have a solid product. You don't have to have a solid business. You don't have to be rich. All you have to do is put off the image and the confidence that you are successful and other people will pick up on that and participate in it. And then they'll you know, brag about you to their friends. And then of course, help you ascend up in, in the ranks and, and really meet with the, with the heavy hitters. So the networking all started with getting the penthouse. That was why that was such a breakthrough moment for me and it opens so many doors. Um, the second thing which relates directly to that that I did right was I presented the right image. So by having the penthouse, by having the the mobile app, by having these big events and parties, I was seen as like the go-to guy, right? Whenever somebody needed somewhere to throw an event, they hit me up. Whenever somebody needed the plug at like the clubs or the restaurants or anything downtown Philly, I was the guy. So having the image of having a lot of presence and power and prowess in that city gave me a lot of purview because philly is a small city it's like smaller than san diego it's it's like you know a quarter of the size no it's like a tenth of the size of la so doing these big you know being a big fish in a small pond really worked in my favor here i was able to really be seen as like a, a heavy hitter in that space. I was, ne- you know, my neighbors were like also super hard hitters and even people in the buildings next to mine were, you know, super successful entrepreneurs who I had like seen speak on stage and stuff. And now I'm, you know, toasting glasses to wine with them at dinner parties and stuff. So that image, you cannot, uh, under- you cannot oversell the value there. It, it is incredibly important that the image was built and that they all saw me as a serious player i remember uh, being at the top of the penthouse and it's so quiet up there right you got all these ambulances and traffic noise and car accidents and all this stuff going down at street level and at the penthouse you can't hear anything it's a it's a perfectly smooth hum and i remember saying to my roommate at the time i'm like damn <laughs> you really are separated from the world when you're up here it's like you're up in the heavens and you're just looking down on the rest of everything it was a really weird ethereal experience and so then we started like joking about you know we we could see all the other penthouses in the city like at the top of the buildings like the plants and like the high windows and stuff and we're always like man I wonder what the guy in that penthouse does you know but that that really created an aura and an energy of power and that's super attractive when when people feel like they're around a powerful presence then they want more of it right and so that, that image was kind of naturally and inherently created by the social life that I had there, by the events that I was putting on. At the time I was doing these uh, rooftop yoga series. So you know, we were doing these sunset yoga on the rooftop of these buildings. So it was just all, all of that came together and made a really solid reputation and image. Um, and then the third thing that I did right is, uh, even though I didn't have the letter of intent signed from all of these investors, I did have multiple investors on my side. So I had people who I was coming to the table with, right? So because I had Kevin at the table, I could negotiate with Mark Cuban and negotiate up the valuation. I didn't do the, the smart work of getting it in writing, but by even being able to verbal those things, I was bidding the offers against each other. So I was upping the valuation more and more with each conversation. So that was something that, you know, now looking back on it, I would totally do that again. I would just get written, signed agreements. But you know, having leverage at the table is always how you win a negotiation. And so having multiple investors or multiple clients or multiple partners, whatever it is, so that you can walk away. As you know, the person who's willing to walk away wins the negotiation always. Okay, so here's what I learned from this whole experience of having $2 million on my desk and losing it. First learning definitely is have three inked offers before you go into any negotiation have offers on the table, and they have to be either in paper or ideally inked. You know, Obviously, if it's a job opportunity, you're not going to sign three different employment agreements. But if you have three different investors, if you have three different clients, you should always be bidding things in threes. One, three is a magical number from the universe. Uh, People love things in threes. They don't like twos. They don't like fours. They like threes. It's the easiest number to comprehend. Two, it gives you a good medium and worst option on everything so you always have a scale to measure costs and benefits on so always have three offers on the table no matter what it, what kind of negotiation you're in second you need to have enough emotional and financial runway right so you can't be running a company and have ten thousand dollars in the bank and expect to make it through six more months you need to have financial runway either from investors or from partners or from client income or whatever it is you need to have financial runway and you need to have emotional runway because if i had continued that negotiation i could have continued negotiating with kevin hart but i got so burned out after four years of working on this company you know going tens of thousands of dollars into debt over this trying to build what they wanted me to build i had vacuumed up all of my energy i had none left and i finally threw in the towel and i said forget it i don't want to work on this company anymore i want to sell it so the reason I didn't have much emotional runway is because I didn't have much financial runway. When, you, when you've been working for four years and never gotten paid a dime for your work, that really starts to eat away at your happiness and your confidence. So that was something I would never let myself get into again. And the last thing that I learned is how to connect with the A-listers, right? Kevin probably gets tens of thousands of pitches every year, people who want to invest with him, partner with him, whatever. I mean, just looking at my own you know, inbox i got i get people pitching me every single day about companies to invest in companies to partner with whatever just pitching all the time so you really have to have a standout product and by having via my fitness app that was the fitness rewards app i had a really i really had something special and that's what put me at the table with everybody so when you think about connecting with the heavy hitters it's really important that you have something to offer you can't just go in empty-handed if you're some joe schmo off the street who's just starting your first company and you're broken you have no success and no connections and nothing to offer nobody is going to bring you to the table you have to have put in the work built something really amazing and then you can get brought to the table so that's what i learned from having a, a big investment offered to me and taken away and i hope that this can impart some wisdom or reassurance and confidence on you if you you're in that stage. If you're in the grind, if you're in the tunnel right now and you're looking to come up for air, just know that one, it's all going to be okay in the end. All the money I spent on that company I earned back when I started working with TikTok, it all came together just as it was supposed to. But throughout the process, I easily could have been happier if I had known these things earlier and I could have achieved much more success if I had applied some of these tactics. So, I hope that this has left you with some uh, lasting inspiration and, and ideas on how you can improve your own process more. So with that, thanks for listening. I'll see you in the next episode.